Anything for the culture in Silicon Valley that struck you at the time? I just love that people slept under their desks. You know, I love that. Were, you know? We were all in working. Yeah, it's yeah. like everybody put everything on the line to work hard because that's the culture I came from. Like in Nigeria, people worked super hard for less valuable things. CEO and co-founder. Now I'm here, co He is one of the greatest entrepreneurs you've never heard of. He started multiple billion-dollar companies in Africa. He's from Nigeria, and he came over, went to college at Waterloo in Canada. I knew him as a 19-year-old a long time ago. It's amazing to see his journey building Andela, building so many other great companies, and helping tens of thousands of people be more successful themselves in Africa. E's company, Flutterwave, is now the highest-valued technology company in Africa. I don't think people understand the potential of Africa. Nigeria, there's 8 million people being born a year. In 15 years, as E will tell you, there's going to be more people working in Africa than the rest of the world combined. It's going to be exciting to hear from me what they're doing there. I'm Joe Lonzil. Welcome to the American <laughs> Optimist. Well, thank you very much for having me here. We have my friend Ian Olua. We're going to call you E because that's what we call you. Yes, that's what we've been calling me for a long time. <laughs> More than 10 years now. E is an extraordinary entrepreneur. Uh, you're born in Nigeria and you've built your businesses in Africa. Absolutely. You know, so tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get going? Sure. I mean, I was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and then I went to Waterloo. Um, which was where I met Pierre Iris, and Pierre introduced me to the world of technology. Pierre used to work at Adapar. That's right. We, and, we, uh, I think you were 19 or something. Yeah, like I was like 19. I was like 19 or 18 or something. I don't know. Some ridiculously young age. Let's go even before that, though. Your father was, was a prominent yeah, minister. Yeah, he's a prominent minister. Yeah, he is. What did you learn growing up being exposed to I that? I mean, you know, he wasn't a prominent minister when I was growing up. <laughs> he, was, he was more like, uh, he, he was rising through the ranks. Um, and actually, at the time when I was growing up, um, particularly in my high school years, he was um, working for Royal Dutch and he was negotiating um the release of um hostages from huh. um from uh from pirates wow. Niger Delta pirates that was literally what he was doing it was his last assignment at Royal Dutch and it taught me a lot like just watching him sacrifice a lot for other people just taught me a lot because he would like walk into this life or death scenarios and literally just make sure like people are okay families got out wow. you know all of that um so it taught me a lot I mean growing up it just taught me a lot about Christian service and you know he was such a good person um and beyond that he was just such a faith-filled person that he still remains the only one I know who's still friends with the militants. So they respected him. Like whenever he's wow. coming, they're like, pastor's coming, pastor's coming. You can't mess around he's with pastor. pastor. So he's a, he's a, they respect him. They really still don't exactly, respect him. Exactly. And their parents went to church. Um, you know, they went to his church. You know, he tried to treat them like human beings when a lot of people, because to be honest, you know, even though the accusation was done wrongly, at the end of the day, they did have legitimate grievances about kind of the environmental destruction in Niger Delta, although I think they should have gone about it more legitimately. They ways. shouldn't have been terrorists, but they were still, they saw legitimate grievances. They saw legitimate grievances. He respected them. And he respected them and he and Engage them on the basis of their legitimate the That's the best way to work so, with people yeah. engaged. So he taught me a lot about that growing up. Just And literally, I lived in a house where I never knew who my siblings were because we just had a lot of people in the house. <laughs> I, was taking, I was taking care of everyone around. Exactly, exactly. And it's the same thing with us. You know, we, you know, those are the things I've learned from him over the years. And even till today, um, you know, even now we're all gone from home. 
Still got a lot of folks in the house. I don't know how. <laughs> well, you have young, you have young kids in the house. Now. I've, got, I've got a lot of people in my house too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah. Tell, you know, you talk about a pivotal moment in your life, E, in 2014. Yeah. There was a horrific stampede in the stadium where yeah. not 90,000 young Nigerians were, were yeah. competing for jobs. What was the situation at the time? Why was there high unemployment? And how did that affect your life's direction? I mean, you know, for me, high unemployment has always been a fact of Nigeria's life. If you actually look at the economic history, and it's for a bunch of reasons. A lot of it is structural right? Nigeria's median age is 19, meaning half the population is under the age of 19, half the population is over the age of 19. And to make matters worse, there's not a lot of university education. So 12% participation rate. But you see what happened in 2019, um, 2014 brought it home to me for the first time. Because, you know, I was walking home, I was, I was running a startup at the time, it was called Fora. And I was just driving home from work. And um, it was a Saturday. And all these young people 90,000 of them showed up for an immigration desk job. And look, this is not a high paying job. This is literally just sitting down, stamping people's passports. Yeah. 90,000 kids They're showed up. They're so eager to work. They just want to work. And that was the day I figured, wow. well, if these people can do anything, why not teach them stuff that actually makes them money? Why not teach them how to work on the internet? And that was the day that this flipped, the, the switch flipped for me. And then, you know, over time wow. kind of snowballed into what became Mandela. Um, so before we talk about Andela, let's go back a little bit. What did you learn from being at Waterloo? What did you learn from from people like Pierre who showed you the world of technology? Like what like what was there out in, in, in America and Canada that you hadn't seen in Nigeria? You know, when I was coming to Canada, I had a very clear view of the world. And for me, it was, you know, my first co-op term was at the United Nations. And I thought the only way to change the world was to work with government and to work with nonprofits and to be a good person and do all of that. And, you know, I kind of got a little bit cynical after seeing what happened at the United Nations because nothing happens at the United Nations. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not really working. And I came back and I was like, look, man, like I'm done with all these BS. They're just making money and drinking cafes in Vienna, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I want to make money. So I became like more cynical. In I was very, very cynical. Right. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. I'm going to be the guy who defends monopolies. <laughs> oh, oh no. Literally, that was my paper. I did my fourth year paper in second year and my paper was on how you sue the Canadian government at the time it was trying to sue Win Mobile for being a, a, a non-indigenous business trying to get into the telco industry. So I was literally making an argument that companies were subject because they were people um, they, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedom should apply to them. And so you couldn't be protectionist. That was how cynical I was. Yeah. <laughs> so I was on my way to becoming a, you know, yeah, yeah, a very yeah. different kind of person. Yeah. But then, you know, I, I, um, you know, I encountered Pierre and, and Pierre introduced me to a world where people could do good by building things and making money. I mean, making money was not the most important thing. It was just like, you could actually build great stuff, make money, but also do a ton of good in the world, more good than you would ordinarily do otherwise. And I think that became the foundation of my own journey in tech, because for me, it became a superpower for getting things done, for aligning people's interests to do good. And that continues to remain the biggest thing I learned from Waterloo um, and from Pierre. I love it. And if you're making money, that means you're sustainable. It means you can do more yeah, of that. You, you can, can do, do more, more of that. You can exactly. do another one and another one and another one. Exactly. And you came out to Silicon Valley. Any, any memories of the time? I think you must have seen, seen us on Marina Boulevard in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, first yeah. Started I, I saw you everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> San Francisco, Mountain View. <laughs> Anything for the culture in Silicon Valley that struck you at the time? I love that people worked so hard. 
I don't know. I think today now it's like a work thing to save. Like, yeah, no, but that's good, good. Like that's nine good. to five, don't invest yourself in work. But I, I just love that people slept under their desks. You know, I love that. We were, you know, we were all in working. Yeah, it's yeah. like everybody put everything on the line to work hard because that's the culture I came from. Like in Nigeria, people work super hard for less valuable things. So you know, I grew up working hard, and I just love that in Silicon Valley. That was that was a culture because it was very different from what I saw at the United Nations. You know, people. Yeah. You know, they want to take a coffee break at twelve, and then at two o'clock they disappear it's the most hilarious place they didn't really have stuff they were working towards that was real probably so they took a lot of time off well but they they say they were trying to save the world well if you're trying to save the world you should be working a whole lot more than four hours a day you know yeah the people (laughs) really trying to save the world are probably the ones who are working (laughs) exactly really hard that's fair exactly and so you got out of waterloo you worked on book netto and for a distance learning for african university some of these areas yeah but then you had this experience where yeah. you saw these 9,000 people wanting to work and you wanted to help them. Yeah. So tell us about how Indela got going. Like, like, what do you have to do to so get this it started? Was, it, was a, it was just a process. So I saw this thing and I realized that, look, I'm probably in the wrong business because my business at the time, you know, first of all, I started out very well intentioned, of course. I wanted to help university professors to be able to do distance learning, but it was a little bit too early. You know, the internet penetration wasn't there. The regulator wasn't having it. Yep. And so I thought, okay, you know, since that's not possible... Why don't I just start selling online courses to young professionals who want to get an MBA, but they don't want to, they can't afford to leave their jobs mm-hmm. and go away for 18 months to get an MBA. Yep. So I was like, okay, that was, that was going very well. It's a beautiful business. It's going very well. And then I had this encounter. And the problem was I couldn't unsee it because it was like, well, all these people who already have jobs, you're helping them get more education. They just want it for a promotion. There are kids out there who don't even have a job. These guys, these guys are hungry and they're, they're desperate. They're hungry. They don't even have a job. So like I'm, I'm serving the wrong market. That market is too small. This market is much bigger. The market for unemployment, way bigger than the market for professional education. And so what happened afterwards was shortly after that, I went to the U.S. and I reconnected with Jeremy Johnson, who was an entrepreneur who had taken his company public with To You. And he was introduced to me a couple years earlier by a guy called Lee Rubenstein, who was a vice president of business development at edX. And I'd met him at a conference. Anyway, long story short, me and Jeremy get into a conversation. We're catching up. You know, I haven't seen him in a while. He just took his company public. And he started telling me about his experience in Kenya. And he said a lot of things that concord with what I saw, which was university education in Africa and most parts of the world is a waste of people's money. <laughs> um, especially in, in countries where the incomes are not large enough and the state is not rich enough mm-hmm. to be able to afford, you know, to educate people just for the sake of doing so. And his idea was, what happens if you build a new model of education where you train people for a job that actually exists as opposed to just educating them for the sake of giving them a degree? And that was the origin of Andela. You know, and at first we thought we we're gonna do Salesforce training. Mm-hmm. Oh really? <laughs> That's actually where we started. That's we're funny. like we're gonna do Salesforce training. It's a big ecosystem. And, you know, yeah. it's a big ecosystem. And maybe we'll go back to that because uh, <laughs> I think they're yeah. they're expanding very, very yeah. much. It's a big company now. So Salesforce and but then over time we started looks at the data, realized that the real gap was in software development. The, and that the world actually, desperately needs engineers. Desperately needs engineers. And then that was how we started. Uh, and who'd you start training? Like, who are these kids that you'd oh, work with? We we just basically, so I, I remember putting out a tweet at the time um, and, and literally the tweet said, no experience required. Come and learn, come get paid to learn how to be a software engineer. So literally we would pay these kids who were straight out of school, had a university degree, but wasn't in something useful per se um, or something marketable. And we would pay them 
you know, you know, 500 bucks a month to just come and learn how to build software Amazing. for six months. So you, so, so you pay them at first. <laughs> we pay them at first. And we it, still pay them. I mean, we, I mean, when we train, we no longer do a lot of training because now the world is full of boot camps. But when we trained, we paid them every month because we need to take their minds off the day-to-day vagaries of life. They need to have enough like food and shelter. Not just that. It's not even that. We provided that to them as well. But look, I can tell you, the black tax, like family is a big deal and you live to take care of your family. Yeah. So if they did not have some money they could send home, their parents would be like, why don't you have a job? Got it. And then there was another policy reason because the reality was also that I wasn't offer I wasn't I couldn't offer a degree granting program without going through this extremely long accreditation process that was just impossible yeah. to get through. I have to buy a hundred hectares of land, blah, 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 That's blah. A lot. And I was just like, okay, what's the shortcut? I'm just gonna pay them and say they're my employees. And well, you Amazing. don't have to care Amazing. about what they make. <laughs> so oh, the government got off funny. my back on that back. Just call, yeah. them, call them your employees. They're my employees. I'm training them and they're not making me any money, but it's okay. They're my employees. <laughs> and then once you've paid them, how's it work? They're going to stay yeah. with you and work with you for yeah. other companies? I mean, the beautiful thing is, so we, we paid and trained them for six months and then they onboard to companies. And then those companies, we place... Um, we place them with those companies. Those companies pay us here in the U.S., mm-hmm. and then we pay them. And that, um, and, and that, that was the original model. And that covered your costs to expand. Covered our costs, gave us some margin, all that. Although the model also has shifted with time. You know, as remote work became more popular, um, we started to do, a, I think now it's now a marketplace model. Yep. So the way it works now is like you actually are probably already trained through one of the one million boot camps now on the continent. Got it. And, you know, you place yourself on the time. They no longer need a new boot camp. They don't need a boot camp. They don't need somebody to pass through their pay. They just need somebody to place them. This was an inspiring business. Mark Zuckerberg invested. I yeah, believe. yeah. Mark Zuckerberg invested. Spark Capital invested. Yep. Um, cool. Alex uh, Finkelstein. And then mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg invested. And then... Um, and then we got money from Generation, and then we got money from um, SoftBank most recently. Love and it. the business is doing extremely well. I love it. And so after Andela, so you, yeah. you weren't you weren't didn't just you haven't just started one unicorn. You kept you kept going. You, well, I, yeah. There's a lot of problems in Africa. There's, there's like two hundred and fifty thousand unicorns. That's my to be. that's my favorite answer. That's my favorite answer. Is there's a lot of problems in there's Africa. There's a lot of problems because when Africa. you build, you're solving a problem. You're, you're solving building. a problem. You're solving a billion dollar problem in Africa. And you know the funniest thing I would say is that what most people don't realize is that if you're solving a problem in Africa, you're probably solving a problem for the majority of the future of the world because. By the end of the century, right, Africa is the majority of the world's population. In, in fact, just in the next 15 years, Africa is already majority of the world's working population. Really? Next 15? Yeah, I didn't yeah, realize that. Is that yeah, close? literally. 2035. We're already there. What's Nigeria's population about? Today, right Nigeria is 200. And how much are they people. adding every decade? Do you know? Every- They're literally adding 10 million kids a year. A year? A year. A you guys year. are making babies like We're crazy. a lot of babies. Like, 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 let, me, let me tell you something. <laughs> half, people don't understand how... Half the country is under 18. Half. Wow. 100 million kids. This is fun. That's amazing. It is fun. Wow. It is fun. So, I mean, it, it's just incredible. This scale. You're doing everything Elon Elon said you're supposed to do, huh? With that. You've been following you know, that. He's calling for that. So, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, no, look, we, we did all the stuff Elon said to do like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> now we're just trying to help him realize we're on Mars and he doesn't need to go anywhere. <laughs> Before I, Exactly. Before I get back to the other companies you built, I want to ask, because we're talking about Nigeria, it's grown so fast. I was fascinated the other day. This is a controversial topic. Yeah, but, but, no, please. But, uh, so I, I saw the other day that America has the highest percentage of kids that only have one-parent households. Mm. We're 23%. Yeah. Nigeria is about 
4% apparently yeah. is what the data says, which is amazing to me. And and so what it seems like that's actually a very positive cultural is, thing it, going it on is, there. It is a positive cultural attribute, and I hope we can keep it, right? Um, and, and I think what it is is really uh, – look, I'm, I'm going to be honest, and maybe yeah. it's a little bit of a controversial point of view, but it's the emasculation of black men. In America. That, that is just a fact, right? It is a big topic. Um, it is something that that we talk about. Black men simply have not been empowered by kind of the liberal system mm-hmm. to be men, to be providers, to be responsible. And there is a lot of work. It's happening already, thankfully, right? Because people are taking active interest in making sure men are taught to be men, wow. right? And they understand they have a role in society that, you know, they you can't just wish away. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's the reason why you have these, you know, single parent households, because you have a lot of men who haven't been necessarily, um, you know, um, socialized into their role as fathers, as brothers, as as men. I mean, for me, you know, I spend a lot of time with my dad now and, you know, you're consistently reminded, look, you're a man. There are certain things you need to be able to do. <laughs> there are certain is, is responsibilities you have. Is that tied to your religion in Nigeria? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of it ties to the religion, right? You have men's groups and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they are men that mentor you. These are Christian and Muslims, men's groups, both? or Well, I mean, I imagine there are. And, and I think with Muslims, you know, they even kind of worship men and women, as you know. But mm-hmm. like for Christians, which I can speak more about, you know, we have this Christian's men's group. I, I have a lot of male mentors and father figures in my life. Hmm. Not just my father, but like, you know, I've got the chairman of my company at Flutterwave, you know, was like hmm. a father to me as well. So it's something that's celebrated being a man and being a father figure, not just to your kids, but to 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 other people's kids as well. Even wow. today, like I'm like godfather to like 10 kids. You know, I don't even wow. know how many of them I have now. It's <laughs> You know, I have one every other week and I got all these kids. I got you, you get into a role where very early you're taught how to take responsibility. And so there's certain things you can do. There are just certain things you never think of doing. Like you have a kid and you're abandoned. That's not possible. You can't do that. You know, yeah. um, or you, you know, if you're, uh, you know, you, you, you are the head of your home <laughs> and you are regarded and respected as such. If someone makes a mistake and, and, and they do have some kid, like, yeah. out of, like, is there a corrective mechanism that's different there, you think, than the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, what, what happens is other men in mm-hmm. society, they make step that forward. man or they make take a, responsibility, they you say, know, like yeah. if somebody... I mean, this happens a lot, as you can imagine. There's yeah. uh, quite a number of teenage births and all that. That happens, right? It, it does happen. But you push the person but to have the, duty. The man yeah. is tell, is then told, "Hey, you you know, you you give you, don't don't you be a deadbeat, don't yeah. be a deadbeat dad. You can't be yeah. a deadbeat dad. Yeah. <laughs> now you got to figure out how you get a job. You provide, and they don't just scold him. They provide him those opportunities. They help him. They help, they help him. him. They say, "Oh, look, come help." So I think that's really what has to happen here, right? Like black men have to be empowered to rise to the occasion. You know, those who are responsible and great role models have to now help those who. And, and by the way, this is a problem with white men in our society as, as and well. other men as well. As well. Yeah, it's, exactly. I think broad societal issues. It's yeah. uh, it, it, it is. You know, I think the, the data used to be five percent white and twenty five percent black families when there was a famous Moynihan report in the sixties. It's Democrat yeah. calling out the issue, and then it's now I think up to you know it's up to like what forty well, percent something for whites and seventy percent something for blacks. Preservation like, you know, of family is so important. It's and, critical. And this for whole, whole idea, you know, there are. There are real gender roles. Like you, you can't just wish wash all these things, right? Yeah. And for me, I mean, everything is grounded in faith. You mm-hmm. know, at the end of the day, these things are written in the Bible. 
about what men need to be able to do. If you're a man you, and you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an infidel. Yep. This is what the Bible says. <laughs> <laughs> Some of these traditions are very helpful for, for yeah. functional societies. Exactly. That's, That's very yeah. interesting. Exactly. Yeah. When you have a society that runs on the word of God, it works better. I mean, this is what Israel proves to everybody. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, I mean, ironically, as uh, I'm, I'm Jewish, but I think in our community, we follow these things as well exactly. very, very closely. Exactly. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about Israel. We actually were in Jerusalem and we, we're we in ran Jerusalem. into each other. Amazing, amazing, amazing time. It was, it was, amazing it was time. Fun, fun to see that you're spending, you're, so you're, you're based in Africa, but you spend yeah. a lot of time in Israel. You a lot of time. Raise money there. You yeah. partner there. What, yeah. Why? What's going on with that? I think for me, one of it is, is my faith, right? So, you know, for us, we, you know, one of the things that we're enjoying to do as Christians is to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So we, Jerusalem for us is a very revered place. And, um, what has really helped is, you know, we've had a very tough time in Nigeria, Israel relationship. I'll say, um, you know, partially because of the regime in power is mostly Muslim. Um, and, and there's been, we've had to make an intentional effort to rebuild those bonds of yeah. brotherhood and friendship um, with Israel. Um, so for me, it's really like a spiritual mandate. And then, you know, the benefit, the bonus is, you know, you get the benefit of this incredible innovation ecosystem of people who literally build through walls <laughs> and mountains and yeah. they, you know, when you go to Israel, we just see so many things that amaze us in terms of the people's mentality, in terms of the, the, the strength of the culture, in terms of the fulfillment of prophecy, in terms of uh, people's attitude to innovation. And it's inspiring. It's just an inspiring place to be. So we spent a lot of time there. Um, we, we, we had somebody who was part of the team there, at, you know, and we're looking for ways to just keep learning from Israel. Do people from Israel come to Nigeria and work on things with you? Increasingly. It's becoming more widespread. Um, there's, I, I don't remember what the ambassador told me, but I think he was saying there's a couple hundred thousand Israelis in Nigeria. Wow. Yeah. A lot of them are in construction. A lot of them are in the retail business. Well, it's a huge, like with 8 yeah. million babies being born a year, there's you know, a big opportunity yeah, there. Yeah, you know, you know. That's one Israel every yeah, year. Agriculture. Right? Agriculture. Israel is very good at agriculture. Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. So we do we do quite a lot. We do quite a lot. That's cool. That's, 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 I'm glad to hear about that relationship. Yeah. yeah, it's an amazing relationship. I want to hear more about your building. So you started a fintech payments company, Flutterway. Was that in yes, 2016? Yes. It's a few billion dollar company. Yeah. I think is that the, the highest? most valuable company on the continent. The highest valuation for an African tech startup. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations, E. Thank you. Uh, to, to, so what is it? What's Flutterwave? What's so, the impact? So Flutterwave was, you know, when we were building Andela, one of the biggest challenges was, you know, we needed to be paid, right? And it was really fascinating to realize that, you know, we we could, we never really, it was very difficult to facilitate those payments, <laughs> you know, before Flutterwave. So, you know, as soon as Andela got off the ground and started going, you know, I started working with these bankers who I had invested in to say, you know, why don't we try and fix this payment issue? They'd been thinking about it for a long time. They were standard bank bankers, spent eight years, you know, they had all the experience. So we started building out what became Flutterwave. And we realized something very interesting. Digitization of payment rests on the merchant's ability to accept multiple different payment methods and reconcile yep. them. Yep. So, so a lot of these, these guys wanted to go online, wanted to grow beyond the physical limitations of their business. But, you know, there were all these payment methods that cost real money to integrate. You needed to integrate MasterCard, you needed to integrate Visa. If you had M-Pesa, you had to integrate that, PayPal, integrate that. And they couldn't afford engineers. So all we did was we brought together all these different payment methods into one box and we made it available to them across all channels. PayPal, Visa, what Everything. else? Everything. Visa, MasterCard, Amex, 
the local payment methods, the mobile money, bank transfers. It's like in PESA, what do you do too in Kenya? Or yeah, no? that's in yeah. Kenya, right? Wait, but, and you, then, but you guys don't use that there. No, we, we don't use it in Nigeria, but, but our business but, was Pan-African. But in Flutterwave, we'll use that there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're a Flutterwave merchant in Kenya, you probably want in PESA. Yep. You yep. don't want bank account payments. Yep. So we were able to aggregate all these payment methods across currency, across country, across payment type. That's cool. And then just hand it out to everybody. And then it turned out the big companies wanted it. So Uber was like, we love this. This is perfect for Uber. It makes me save some time. Exactly. So anyone, <laughs> anyone coming to Africa is going to work with this. Do you use like USDC for some things then? Or? So so we didn't. Um, we didn't. The 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 business um, at the time, there wasn't crypto. Well, there wasn't any stuff. of that. that yeah. But today, I will tell you, if we're building, rebuilding Flutterwave, you know, yeah. something I've learned, right? All African currencies. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. Colored paper backed by the U.S. dollar. <laughs> That's fair. That's so fair. I'm like, look, if I was building this thing today, I will just build USDC and be like, yeah, do whatever you like on the ground. Because it's all, cause <laughs> Cause it's it's all, all it's related. All, yeah. Sometimes our own, our, I shouldn't say it, but sometimes our own U.S. dollar scares me a little bit. Uh, so I'll try, I'll try to make sure we behave ourselves. Trust better. Okay. <laughs> we are so relying on you, to. Joe. Okay. We're going to hold him accountable for you. <laughs> Please. The world's counting on us not Please. to be too exactly. crazy. Please. I don't know what we're going to do if you guys lose the U.S. Well, dollar. We'll try, try to keep Uncle Joe in please, line here. Please, please. Yeah, yeah, make sure he doesn't do too much. <laughs> All, right. All right. That's funny. It's Uncle Sam and Uncle Joe these days. Uh, we, uh, you know, and so, so, you're, so, so you also have a fund. You yes. also have a fund. We I'm, a fund. I'm lucky to be a small investor yes, in your fund. Absolutely. You, and we're grateful to have you. Well, well, you've absolutely crushed it. And like, tell us, like, what are you seeing with your fund? What's going on in Africa? So, so you know, we've kind of come through an interesting evolution. I, I'm a reluctant venture capitalist, right? So for me, you know, initially I was just happy to just hop from one company to your other every three years. And then I was like, I don't have, I have 30 years to do this. Uh, if I do that, that's like 10 companies. That's nice. <laughs> but what if one or two fail? Like, how do we manage, how do we balance that out? And so I figured, look, hopping around companies is probably not the best approach. Well, and, you've done a pretty good job. I hope you keep building too. Well, no, that's definitely true. But I just think, you know, building an institution that can continue to do that is much yeah. better than just being one guy 100%. who lived for as long as God gives you, who can hop from one company to the other. I mean, that's a great living, you know, the as you grow and you want to have kids and you want to have, spend more time with your family i don't think i could be doing flutterwave andela type hours <laughs> you know what i mean it's hard You're very I agree. hard yeah. Yeah, if you have you know, four little girls here too exactly now, it's tough exactly yeah. so mm-hmm. so so i mean so i thought about how do you institutionalize this type of support for founders that are building what we imagine are you know amazing category defining companies that can fulfill africa's potential and promise yep so 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 basically what what we've now evolved into so First fund, you know, $1 million. I just used my money. And we did 22 times. Um, we returned 22 times on that. We distributed nine, $9 million. Everything was amazing. Yep. Fund two, which we just closed, is our final quarter. We, you know, we, you know, we, we basically went out and took outside capital. But we, we did it in a very innovative way. You know, we tried to experiment with a lot of things. Um, retail investors. <laughs> I have a lot of stories about that one. That's, that's uh, a mess, man. Yeah, a huge mess. Uh, <laughs> AngelList, Rolling Funds. Oh, wow. I did all that shit. I, oh, wow. You know, I did. Sorry. Yeah. I did all that stuff. <laughs> that's fine. And, and I, you know, I'll tell you. Lots of stories and lots of reasons why venture capitalists read. <laughs> I think when you understand it from how yeah, you done try it by first, yeah, yeah, you know, like, oh, it's like, this is- oh, this is why they do it this way. Yeah. So, so now in our third fund, we're very traditional. Um, but, but, but a few things we've learned, right? You know, first of all, we're operators, we're builders like you, Joe. 
we are, we build stuff. We're, we're not really like financial investors. We're not like, you know, just doling mm-hmm. out money investors. And, you know, it's unique on the continent yeah. because you don't have that many successful investors. Um, a successful entrepreneur is becoming investors. It's not yet a thing on the continent because you barely have any successful entrepreneurs. Yep. How much more? So most of the investors are bankers. So we're one of the few people who, when an entrepreneur comes to us, we actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> I love it. This is like the 1970s, 60s. Absolutely. Here is all the bankers, all the money. Exactly. Yeah. So think about the way the 1970s venture ecosystem was that is what yeah. we're doing <laughs> so you're <laughs> like a venture you're, fund uh, back when when dog leon was still doing you're basically that like sequoia <laughs> yeah because yeah, exactly. sequoia and kleiner were built by the guys who built the early companies exactly exactly yeah. so that's us now so yeah. so in this fund so it's it's a few a few companies but really focused on very game-changing companies very thesis focused and i can talk about that and 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 you know we're going to take meaningful stakes we're going to be active governance. We're going to do all of that. And, and to be honest, part of the experiments we did, for example, in Fund 2, we funded 80 companies. I mean, this is an incredible experiment. Lot. Lot. So I, I know everything about what to do and what not to do in venture from Fund 2. It's a good, good <laughs> practice. experience. Not, yeah. not even like, I, no, I didn't yeah. read any books. <laughs> I can tell you, so don't you do learn. this. <laughs> you know? yeah. So in Fund 3, you know, we're, we're really going to be very focused, very traditional, very much helping high quality founders to be able to build this. And I love it. For us, the, the theme of the fund is how do you unlock Africa's digital economy? You've got this wave of young people coming. The reality is the local economies are not able to sustain them. And that's a problem because if you live in an economy where half your economy is under the age of 18, I mean, look, the reality is it has to grow. A lot. It has to grow a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it's unlikely that 18 year olds are going to create much economic value. You know, yeah. they don't buy stuff. I don't know how your 18 year olds <laughs> fare, but they don't yeah. buy a lot of stuff. So you have a ton of consumption. But, and then people have a lot of time on their hands also. They've got a lot of time and yeah. that can be destructive. Interesting. Mm. Right? For the whole world, not just yeah. for Africa. I mean, think about it. Yeah. If you've got the largest and the youngest workforce in the world, which we're going to be in 15 years. We better keep them occupied. Cre- creating just 3% of global GDP. Yeah. Think about interesting. Well, on the one hand, the danger, <laughs> but on the other hand, the opportunity. Right, you've got a ton of alpha. Uh, yeah, right, because those young people can be trained to do stuff that actually creates value for the world. I love it. And the beautiful thing about that medium point is the internet. So they can work from Africa, like we did at Andela, <laughs> and create value from the rest of the world from Africa. What are some of the ideas for employing a lot of these young people? Because this is like a daunting task if you have you know tens of millions. It's children. not that daunting. I, actually, I think I think there is at least two, three million jobs on the internet that we're not even talking about today. For example, mm-hmm. graphics. We can make a ton more movies. Mm-hmm. About everything. There's probably know? a lot more. It's probably you you want to build the metaverse? I think there's a ton of people who have a ton of time to like actually, like actually graphically graft together the metaverse. Well, they can also play characters in the metaverse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can do that too. That's a ton of money. I mean, yeah. if you're trying to do that, I mean, but then there's also the you know, table stakes, you know, programming. And look, even, even organizing unstructured data, that's a job. Yep. There are people, there's a, there's a company I saw in Israel called uh, Data Loop. They're such an amazing company. Like in Africa, they're like everybody's favorite company because they they essentially um, have a database that structures like their database for unstructured data. And a lot of they employ a ton of young Africans that literally just, hey, this is Joe's face. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you that's know? funny. Yeah, you know, so like it's like you can teach, you can teach a lot teaching of stuff. Teaching the AI, yeah. right? Yeah. And you need that for the AI to work very well. And to solve problems, yeah. 
So there's a ton of work. I think there is no limits. Do you do anything with manufacturing there at all? Yes, I think I think there's distributed manufacturing and assembly. That seems, that That's another big one. Yeah. That's another big one. I, I don't know that we will come up with like the deep science or whatever. I'm not that optimistic. But I think there's stuff that we can do perhaps easier or cheaper than robots. If you want to make like customized handware, for example, yeah, you, know, like no, it's like, true. you could probably do that there, you know? So there's a lot of things like hair, for example, Nigeria is very quickly becoming the hair capital of, of the world. If you want to make attachments for your hair, you know, that's like, that's, that's a whole a business. Market. It's so, a huge business. So I mean, Africa's tech sector, I think it raised $5 billion in yes, 2021. Just $5 billion. And, uh, which is, that's which like is, one company for you. <laughs> sure. We have a few big companies here, but, but, uh, but it's growing. It's growing. Yes, like, it's how great. should, I mean, a lot of people historically, when you talk about Africa, it's like, oh, it's scary. It's yeah. messy. They're going to yeah. steal. It's yeah. going to be a mess. Yeah. And then you don't touch it. And it's in like, but how should tech investors be thinking about this? Like, how should we be engaging with it? Look, I mean, I think the right tech investors, and this is what you taught us, Joe, have to be thinking in terms of decades, not, not, not now. And when you look at the demographics and, and the demographics of where is the world's productive population, it's Africa, right? Talent is in Africa. But here's the thing, right? You cannot think about investing in African startups the way you would think about investing in Silicon Valley today, right? It's not, it's not going to work <laughs> because no. we're stuck in the 70s. <laughs> you need to go back and read some books about you how got, you- You got to be much Klein more involved in the company, much making more sure involved, it works. Yeah. Much more involved or partnered with people who can because yep. realistically, I mean, I don't expect you to leave all this opportunity in the US and then, you know, except you're me. <laughs> Well, we're gonna we're gonna I think we're having lunch after this to yeah. talk about how we build together, exactly. which I'm excited about. Exactly. But but but, but so it sounds like people need to partner with people like they you, who people like things. us, who can build things on the ground. And you got to be more willing to take risk on things that perhaps are not just code. Mm -hmm. So it's thinking about systems, thinking about infrastructure, it. and thinking about ways of making it work. So, for example, like a lot of companies, I think, um, will be better served instead of being deployed a lot of equity, partnering with debt providers yep and that's something that hasn't come up you know we built an incredible company called move simply on the back of a little bit of equity mm -hmm. and a lot of debt it's a big logistics company it, it's not it's basically like uh we we basically help uber with vehicle supply but in a way that's fair to drivers okay got it so we we lease the car to drivers but not forever they only lease for um 30 months 4,500 rides, roughly. That's smart. And then they own the car. Yep. So that allows they us to keep- They earn their car by the driving asset. and you help them do that. And then that's simple. For that market, that helps a lot. That helps a lot. Because these drivers, unlike in America- Car ownership is 2%. They're less likely to have a car. Exactly. Less likely to have a car. But you do so many things by that. You can jumpstart yep. a whole car manufacturing business. Yep. You know? You that's can, true. You can jumpstart a mobility. It has this down the line effects. You could do actually logistics with that by giving everyone cars. Yes. And, you and can even do trucks. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually trying to experiment with trucks now and bikes and it's probably similar for stuff. construction companies. Same. Give people trucks. You know, Same. Then, yeah. I love it. That's Same. great. So think about that for housing, for example, right? Imagine if you can help people own their homes and they can pay for it over time. You know what I mean? And you can, you, you know, you can use, you can leverage, you can use leverage finance for that. That's amazing. We started the American Optimist to push back against a lot of cynicism, a lot of pessimism we're seeing. A lot of young people say, oh, the world's all broken and messed up. Like, what would you tell people? What would you tell people in the U.S. who are cynical and who think the world's broken for them? Look, if the world's broken, um, it's because we made it so. And so it also means that we can fix it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just what it is. I, I think 
I think that, first of all, I don't think the world's broken. I think a lot of people, even in Africa, I mean, I, I come across all these activists every now and then and they're like trying to sell me on why Africa is bad. And I'm like, no, you, you don't know what you're talking about. If you can look at the data, we've, we've, it's been incredible progress over the last 20 years, <laughs> yep. in spite of everything you hear. <laughs> it is amazing progress. We incredible should, we progress. Show, we show some graphs on this yeah. screen. It's amazing progress. Incredible yeah. progress. And I think if we just do a few of the right things, we can make even more progress. <laughs> and what, what technologies and innovation have you most excited for the future? What, what are the things you're most excited by that you're so, seeing? I know a lot of people are down on crypto. I'm not excited for the shit coins. I mean, I'm excited for stable coins because the, the globalization of the dollar, uh, maybe this is a political statement, is the best hedge against the feds. <laughs> That's fair. That's right? Fair. Because the yeah. moment the, the world is in control of the dollar, their monetary policy becomes real, right? Yeah. You know, you don't have that much control. I mean, maybe you can control what's happening in the U.S. But no, it, starts, it starts to change. And that, it starts and that's to a, change. Yeah, and I, I love it. That's a, you, we universally want to have more people in the same system. Exactly. You need more people in the same system. You need more markets be, be created. I'm very excited about that, honestly speaking. Um, I'm very excited about, about some new advances in, um, in optic fiber. For connectivity, so I've been looking at some stuff that's going on there, and and also you know um, what Elon is doing with um, Starlink. He doesn't even know how much impact he's going to create in the world because he's going to put out, he's going to put all the telecom companies. It's actually great. It's going to replace the need for a lot of expensive infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. we don't need to needle our roads anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how much work that is. Yeah, to like have people dig the roads to bury my line, friend, my friend fiber was, on the ground. My friend was digging these in Angola, uh, yeah. from Portugal, and every time they'd find like diamonds or gold, they had to stop digging them. It's exactly. so annoying. <laughs> and then go talk to the government yeah. and wait two years. That's, it's exactly. incredible. <laughs> so imagine I don't have to. To do that to provide connectivity to billions of people the whole world will be connected in minutes i love it and what's what's africa gonna look like in 30 years what's again if we get I think this it right depends on it depends on us right yeah. like i mean for me i i look at it as a responsibility my goal personal goal is if god helps me africa today produces three percent of global gdp how do i get that number from three percent to thirty percent that is what i wake up in the morning and think every day if we're thirty percent, then we're neck and neck with the U.S. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. let's see. <laughs> Hopefully, we both grow together. That's the idea. I, I think actually, I think it would be bigger than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think because the pie will be so much bigger if we're all working towards that. That you could have even more global growth, right? If Africa can contribute thirty percent of global GDP, imagine how many more economies we would enable to grow as well. That means we're all, that means we're all winning from exactly. everything that gets created there. Exactly. That's a great note to end it on. E, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.